Hello, and welcome to May's IBMS Pod. This month, we catch up with magazine regular and recently crowned Biomedical Scientist of the Year, Bamadele Farinri, after which, in Lab Life, we chat to Miquel Serna Pasqua, who won this year's Gold Award in the Biological and Biomedical Sciences category at the STEM for Britain Poster Awards. So, award winners all round this month. Okay, let's jump straight in with our conversation with Bamidele. Hello and welcome to our guest today, Bamidele Ferriri. Bamidele is a biomedical scientist who specializes in virology and on the 8th of April this year, she was named the Biomedical Scientist of the Year and the overall winner 2022 at the Advancing Healthcare Awards. Bami, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. To get things rolling, I'll hand you over to Jordan, who's going to talk to you about your career. Thank you. Hi, Bami. Welcome to the pod. Uh, thanks for joining us today. So, Thank you, Jordan. No problem. So to kick things off, could you just introduce yourself a little bit more? Tell us a little bit about what you're doing now and your role in biomedical science. I'll introduce myself. My name is Bami Dele Farire, a biomedical scientist um, specialising in virology. Uh, currently, I work as a scientific advisor with the UKHSA. And solely the role is um, for lab validation and quality assurance, um, specifically for um, COVID labs that are um, being ramped up for capacity uh, testing and then just checking their documentation, their submission to ensure that they're um, good enough to go for them to start running the lab. And um, aside from that as well, I just do some other um, activities in the background with regards to like, you know, STEM ambassador work and and then also um, mentorship as well. Cool. Could you tell us how you got into biomedical science? What was your background and your motivations behind taking this career and becoming a biomedical scientist? Um, it's funny actually because sometimes when I get asked that question I'm like mm, to be honest I wanted to be a pharmacist ah. so that was my career <laughs> aspiration but I guess the universe wasn't agreeing you know so um, just by should I say coincidence so I didn't get into the pharmacy the university that I wanted to go for my pharmacy and then so I went through um, a period of time where I was trying to decide what do I do and then it was suggested to me by some one of the career mentors then to say, oh, why don't you try applied biology, applied science? So I thought, mm, I don't know about that. I've never heard of it. And then I said, you know what? And then they said to me, like, if you try it, then you could go into biology. If you don't like it, then you can, you know, think about it again. And then, then you could consider biomedical science. And I'm like, mm, okay. So that was it. But that, that was the best choice and decision that I made. Because in those two years that I did um, applied science in um, uh, Brighton University, I thrived. When I said that, as in I excel, it was it was a really good mixture. It wasn't like too the the, the classroom mixture was really good. We had um, people that were we had mature students within the class, so that was a mixture of practicals and theory, which actually gave me um, room to actually develop really and. In that course, it was like competition more or less every every single term for all the students there. So, and that was where my love for, um, you know, some the uh, healthcare that was where it now became more um, that I actually thought, you know what, I could I would actually follow through with this into biomedical science because the subjects that I was studying there, like immunology, biochemistry, I particularly liked um, microbiology, and then so that was where the, it all started. And then when I graduated, then I um, 
it, it took a while to secure a role as a trainee because then there wasn't that much information around about how to navigate your career path like you know information and to what's the best way to go if you should do a sandwich course or if you should do a three-year course that will land you into a training course and it was just afterwards that you started learning about oh my gosh you have to actually do a period of training in a lab before you become um hcpc registered and things like that so um but aside from that i started as an mla mm. uh, and then that was how the career journey started so what was the first role you were doing as an MLA? So the first role actually started in Armersmith, ah. um, Charing Cross Hospital. So I was in the CSU department. It was a biochemistry department. And um, that, there, that was where I was more or less introduced into healthcare, into, you know, hospitals. And um, like, uh, it was just normal, I would call it admin work where we just do sample separations. I was based in the sample reception and we didn't do, I didn't do much of lab work. So I was like, no, I need to, I need more than this. This is not what I want to do. And then, um, so I think I only did that for about eight months or so before I applied for St. George's and then St. George's as an MLA as well. But that was where I had a lot of experience with regards to getting my foot into healthcare, into hospital and diagnostics. And so that was where I had the opportunity to train, to work in the virology department as well as the uh, microbiology department. So I learned all the technique, or at least most of the techniques that they would show to an MLA because, of course, there's a limit of um, practice when you're not when you're not HCPC registered. Mm. But I mean, I I loved the experience that I gained there because that was what exposed me to um, diagnostics as a whole. Yeah, and then you found your way into the great into Great Ormond Street I as a did. trainee biomedical scientist. Yeah. That that was that was a wow moment. Like, oh my gosh, I finally two years after, two years after I finally got in. Um, yeah, but that was where I got my grounding. Great Ormond Street Hospital. I remember then they took um there were three of us that they took on. That was a big one then for three trainees at the same time. And then with the idea of uh, having us more to train so, uh, in virology and in microbiology, I started off my training in vi- microbiology and then, then get to my specialist in virology and then higher specialism in all. But that was where I got my grounding, um, obtained my HCPC registration. After that, did my master's. I did my um, specialist portfolio in virology and as well as my higher specialist as well, amongst other things. Mm. Um, what piece of advice would you give to like a budding biomedical scientist who is going through this process of graduating and then um, becoming fully registered as a biomedical scientist? What piece of advice would you give them to navigate through that particular period? Yeah, I think now it's getting a little bit better with regards to navigating their way into mm. the profession itself. Because like I said, when I when I did my um, degree, I didn't know that you could do a sandwich, which would then lead you into gaining the SCPC registration upon um, graduating. But for those, even then, like, I'll just advise them to just keep their head down and just keep asking questions because um, there's never a, a time where you feel like a question is a stupid question because that was well, we that was the opportunity we didn't have then 
And now there's more resources available. Even, you know, they could go on Google. Back then, I, I don't think I knew much about Google, like, you know, where you could find information or resources such as STEM learning, such as um, the IBMS. You know, we didn't know about the IBMS when I was um, doing my um, graduate scheme and all that. So now that that information is available, they should make use of it. They should network more as well. And then that way, at least they can get advice from people that are already within the profession that can then, you know, um, advise them on how to go. Sometimes they might have situation where they're trying to decide what discipline should I get into. I think the most important thing is getting your foot into the, into the um, door. That because for the first year, all you're doing is generic anyway. Like mm. that's where you're just learning about. It's more about practicing safely rather than specializing. It's after a few months or a year or so after you've gained your HPC registration. That is when you then worked on being like, you know, autonomous and then working at a specialist level, whatever um, discipline you then decide to follow through. Mm. And what was it that inspired you to get into the virology and microbiology route? I, I enjoyed, when I say enjoyed, I enjoyed microbiology when I was at uni. Yeah. And then that's why even my project was in microbiology and it was in water microbiology. I just, I think, it, I don't know what, it maybe it was the smell or the fact that there's a lot of, um, you can see what you're looking at, you know, the bacteria, you see them grow, you could kind of colonize, even though the smell can be a bit much, but I just found, I just love the fact that you could see what you're looking at and also that you're helping patients, you're, you're, you know, saving lives with regards to when you're able to actually get the answer and diagnose what it is that, you know, infection that you're looking at or you're looking for. I think that was what pushed me more. And, and then as well, because the, the techniques that we're using, that we use at uni is so different to when you get to work. Like when you start in the real world, it's just so different. And then, you know, they used to, oh, the, the techniques they taught us then were like, why don't you please teach us what we need, <laughs> you know, the, what we're going to be using in the real life. But, you know, it, it is what it is. So, um, yeah, and virology, my, um, I don't know. It's just, it was, it's just fascinating. Fascinating in the sense that I had the opportunity to train when virology was virology. You know, I'm not sorry to say that. I, when I, what I meant was I learned like, about cell culture, um, electron microscopy, um, EIFs, those were, the, those were virology, where you know your viruses, like you need to know, you can't be looking under the microscope and you don't know what you're looking at or looking through the, um, the slides when you want to. And then, although it took time, it was it's time consuming, definitely. And all the manual methods of extraction for PCR, now we have automation, you know, a lot of technology, bigger out, out I triple platforms, but I am so happy I had that opportunity. That cannot be taken away because now you learn virology in the books. The machine does all the things for it, which is good because the world is changing. The patient demographics, we're getting, you know, we're getting a quicker turnaround time, which is what we are about, patient focus, and it's all about, um, you know, improved um, patient outcome, definitely. But I just thought for those that are practicing, that is a good grounding for them, especially when it comes to like troubleshooting, you know, machine fails and you want to revert back to to, to the manual ways of doing things that it's, it's very helpful, I would say. Mm. And you've also been quite active with the IBMS. You sit on the virology panel, you do your CPD officer, and you've been an author of several articles in the Biomedical Scientist magazine. 
why would you recommend that um, biomedical scientists get involved with the IBMS? I think um, that's where they get uh, like first-hand information, you know, be in the know about what is going on. Because as you know, IBMS is our professional body. They have information on what it is that pertains to our practice. And uh, I think just getting involved gives you a voice. It gives mm. you a voice because the articles that I write, it's, um, it's relevant to, to, to our practice as biomedical scientists and not just biomedical scientists, healthcare scientists as a whole, you know, like the MLAs and, you know, those that are just coming up in the career, just, uh, and the different sections that you have in the IBMS magazine is really informative. And, you know, it's like your go-to if you need to know one or two things. Also like, you know, like the JBL, the CPD online scheme, just for you to, to, to be aware of development within the discipline itself, within the uh, profession, because it has a wealth of information on the IBMS website. And if you do take part in all their public engagements as well, it just exposes you to, 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 the, to what is going on in the wider network. As you know, uh, biomedical science is not, uh, is not a small niche. You know, it's a very, if you think about the wider picture on how we all integrate as um, private organizations, NHS and, you know, other NGOs as well. So I, I, would, I would encourage people to, to get involved. At times, um, it can be a bit, um, I don't know, a lot of, some, some don't see the, the importance of, of, of joining the IBMS, but I know, I know what I've actually gained by being active with the IBMS, definitely it has helped my career, especially mm. with like, you know, volunteering and also writing articles and that you get, because they, these are issues, what has been discussed in the IBMS Gazette a lot of the times are issues that affect us as professionals and what a better, what a, a better platform for us to have our say, have a voice and that visibility so that we can speak more and then encourage others that are probably considering the, the profession itself as well. So it's something that I would, I would, I would recommend. Yeah. Well, congratulations, um, Bami, because um, as Rob said at the top of the episode, um, you recently won the Biomedical Scientist of the Year Award and you won overall winner as well at the Advancing Healthcare Awards 2022. So I'm going to hand you over to Rob and he's going to talk a little bit more about some of the projects you did um, that you were recognised for for this award. Thank you, Jordan. Yes, indeed. Congratulations again, Bami. And um, you're in very illustrious company there. I think we've got Sarah Pitt, Guy Orchard, Malcolm Robinson. Did you expect to win? And how did you feel when your name came over the tannoy? Oh, boy. Did I expect to win? I mean, yeah, why not? I had, I had that, you know, inclination that, you know, why not? Just go there and just enjoy the moment. I mean, being a finalist alone, you know, it's 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 a, it's an accomplishment. So, but to win, I was like, wow, that <laughs> was that was a wow moment for me. I I was, I, yeah, I I was I was not expecting it. I mean, that was a shock, and then being the overall winner. Yeah, I mean, that, that must be quite an amazing thing, not just for you, but also for, for biomedical science as a whole, for you to be up there representing the profession and winning the overall thing above right. kind of all the, other, all the other professions under the umbrella. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that something that's important for you? It seems to be quite pivotal to what you do representing the profession. Absolutely. To, I mean, to get the recognition 
You know, I, did, I mentioned earlier on about my involvement, what I do and all that. I, I, I do it for the love of it. I do it because I want to give back to the community. I do it because I want to be the change. You know, I start with myself living and being the change that I want to see. You know, what makes me to be a mentor? I mentioned that it was really, and it is real, it was difficult to navigate through being able to secure a role, knowing where to, you know, how to put your application, just not having that, you know, mentorship, not knowing who to go to, how to navigate it. It can be difficult. And at, at times it can be discouraging for some people. You know, if you don't have that mental strength and you don't have that support, mm. you can actually be like, you know what, I don't need this headache. I'm not going to pursue the career and, you know, and, and so that is what, that's what, that's my motivation to say, you know what, there are people out there, they don't even know about the profession or they know, or they just did it. Like I said, I wanted to study pharmacy and then I ended up in biomedical science, you know, and we might have people like that as well. Just knowing, just that encouragement that, look, I've done it. It has been a journey. I can tell you that it hasn't been an easy journey. It has been a journey, but exciting and fulfilling. You know, I can, I can, and the award, like I said, is for all healthcare scientists, is for all biomedical scientists, is for the ones that are coming as well, because it, it goes to show that everything that you do is seen. There's that visibility yeah. of you're being heard. You know, you're making a difference. And what I'm actually um, proud of is the fact that I'm influencing mindsets you know with regards to the younger ones like i even before the awards right when i started my career even immediately as i finished and and i obtained my hcpc registration i've had that mentorship mentality of trying to help others and bring others in and i have been successful in that i mean i can name you know a few um people in the profession that i have actually helped them along the journey and it makes a lot of difference. And aside from that, from a BAME background as well, that representation matters as well. Because yeah. when it comes to leadership positions, you want to be like, we want to see a face. We want to see somebody that feels like, I can do it as well. There's this um, um, initiative that I'm part of, which is um, my, the WISE campaign, um, My Skills, My Life. It used to be called people like me. I actually like that people like me because he says it all. Where yeah. when we go into schools and do our STEM engagement, we they're able to relate. So that you, you know, students, teachers, they can see us and say, "Oh, okay, oh, sister, she's black. Oh, she's a woman." That alone, oh, that that means I can go into science as well. And my, you know, my goal and then my mantra when I'm when I'm speaking is just for them to know, you know what, science is for all. Science is for everybody. There is no differentiation. Whatever you want to do, once you put your mind at it, and also it's, it, 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 it's important to have the right resources, to have the right forum to, for you to be able, you know, to reach out to, which is what the IBM is and the support network that we have, which is, growing now you know for instance like the ibms um chat on um on twitter that is helping a lot of people and a lot of people a lot of um profession professionals from our from our um, profession as well they are actually coming out to increase our visibility and give us a voice so that people can see us and know what we do as you know our, our 
profession is we in the background a lot of the time. They don't know what we do. But COVID came, it actually put us in the limelight. So they know what, what is virology, you know, what is virology? And you mentioned Sarah Pitts earlier on. She did a lot of um, podcasts and episodes and appearances explaining to the general public so that they have an idea what it is. And that is where you, information comes in for people to make informed decisions. Brilliant. And um, talk, talk us through a bit about the, the project that you won the award for, Bami, the uh, Mobile Processing Unit Project. What is it? So the Mobile Processing uh, Unit Project, a van project, is just what it is. It's a van project mobilized for COVID testing. So it was at a time where testing capacity needed to be ramped up uh, and also into places where um, ordinarily people wouldn't come out much to come and test as you and, and as you know that before the mobile lamp testing project when you take samples you have to wait for some hour like at least 24 to 36 32 hours before you can get your results so the project is a government initiative where they thought we need to have results in a timely manner in order to inform um infection control so that people we can stop the the chain of transmission and then you know save more lives than we are we were currently doing before the mobile um, processing um, project and um, the project has been successful I could say you know when we started my my goodness we started with just I think um, three, people. three okay, people how many people did you have by the end I by the significantly end, more <laughs> I mean as of the time that I left the project we had about 130 plus Mm. This is comprising of senior BMSs, um, associate practitioners, and MLAs. You know, and that's excluding the other side of the project, who are the you know the logistic company. But the one that I was in, you know, in control of, which is the scientific aspect of it, yeah, over one hundred and thirty, and it was not easy with the recruitment, as you know, the the nature yeah, of the of project was like. Yeah. <laughs> and how does if, if you think of say um, a healthcare trust or something that they've got all their hierarchies in place everyone knows exactly what positions they're going into for, for a project like this do you have any of those kind of structures in place i mean how do you how do you manage where everyone fits in and how the whole project functions when there's never been a project like it before Initially, I mean, it was thought that we probably just need, I mean, uh, you know, biomedical scientists to do the work. But as you know, for we had we were commissioned to do fourteen vans. That is a lot, and on the shift system that we were going to be doing, there's no way we could actually. And then also, recruitment of BMSs is it's it's very difficult. It's challenging. So with the hold on a second, we need to like review how we're going to do it. So that was where it came about that, okay, there's going to be MLAs, it's going to be APs, and each of them going to have different um, tasks and responsibilities that they do. So the structure was that uh, the BMSs do the initial verification of the platform that we're going to be using and showing that things are in place end to end and things like that. And then the MLA, the APs will act like, so like junior, sort of a level down to the associate practitioner um, no, the associate practitioners are leveled down to the BMSs and then we have the medical lab assistants who are lower down to the APs and then the APs act as supervisors within the vans because they are the one that goes into the field to actually carry out the testing yeah so the role is well defined within the sense that 
APs, they know what, what they do and the training was tailored accordingly as well. So the BMSs, once they're recruited and trained, they, act, they then become the trainers to the APs and the MLAs. And then that was how we were able to then, you know, um, build the workforce to what it was. Um, and what were the biggest challenges you faced in the project? I think the big, bigger challenge was um, working across sites because we had um, the four or five hubs that we had and um, just communication across those sites, ensuring that what we're doing, everything, everyone is on the same page, making sure that um, we, we don't miss anything, nobody's missed out of the loop. And because it was a, a, a multi-partnership, um, with, you know, logistic company, we had the um, workforce company, then we have the pathology team. So it was, it, it, it was a, a big challenge, you know, yeah, try to course. communicate, especially where you're working with um, non-scientific um, team members who, where you have to then explain, you know, whatever you're doing in like in layman terms so that everybody's on the same page and you trying to understand their viewpoint as well. And um, other challenges is when things don't go the way you want. I'm t- like literally every day there's an issue. Every day. And you yeah. can imagine that and you can't even anticipate what kind of issue you're going to see or, 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 or um, encounter on any given day. So, but it was exciting because it's like, okay, what is today bringing, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> forever on our toes and, you know, things are just, things change by the minute. And when I say by the minute, they actually change by the minute. With one minute, you could be told that, for instance, like when you want to deploy, you could be told last minute, oh, you're going there. And then they call you back and say, no, 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 change direction. You're going there. Or when you have staff shortages, it's like, Yeah. It, it was challenging. Sounds like a lot of thinking on your feet and a lot of <laughs> dynamism. Oh, my voice, my goodness. I lost my voice a couple of times, definitely. <laughs> and what's, what, what's the, just before I pass you over to Jordan, what, what's the thing you're most proud about with the project? And, I mean, it's an amazing piece of project management. What, what advice would you give to others who are facing, obviously not exactly the same project, but moving into mm. some kind of project management area? I think success to me on, for this project was the fact that we were able to mobilize all 14 vans and they were able to, we were able to deliver. So we were now deployed and actually carried out testing. The team, they were committed. When I say committed, because they were doing four days on, four days off, away from home, you know, highly pressurized environment. And then the team actually, we, we worked together. There was that team spirit. And I just love the fact that um i was able to lead that team it was a pleasure you know to lead that team and also because as as a result of the project we've now got um competent workforce that's been you know even though the project is now over definitely they've learned a lot of things we had a lot of graduates just coming out of uni that was an opportunity for them and that that's a lifetime experience that they will never forget and the fact that at the point in time where healthcare science that is forefront where the 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 nation needed us we were there that for me is you know is second to none you know and then for project managers out there it could be a similar project or not the 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 highlights would be just uh, be calm because things will definitely go wrong. 
you know yes well you can have your moments where you get to the corner and scream your head out but <laughs> but you have to be composed especially when it comes to your team even if you're not having a good day it's all about the team you have to find a way to motivate your team to carry on the work regardless of the pressure that is going on behind the screen and um also just Planning is so key. Planning is key. You've got to plan. And you have to have um, uh, what's a contingency plans in place as well. Should things go wrong, and communicate. That is paramount. You've got to communicate at all levels, from director level up to the bottom level, where the the grounded, you know, the the people that are actually doing the work, communication is key. Don't ever forget that. And another thing is continually to encourage your staff and give feedback. Even when things are not going the way you want it, always see it as a, a, a um, continuous improvement sort of culture rather than like blame culture, especially when things go wrong. And you will see that the, the team, they will go the extra mile. Absolutely. Perfect. That is a lovely note for me to pass you over to Jordan, Bami. Yes. Now we're going to do the quick fire round. So I have I have some several sentences that I'm going to read, and you, all you have to do is finish them for me. So some of them will be biomedical based, and some of them will just be informal and fun. Okay, let's start off. So my favourite piece of lab equipment is microscope. Why? Oh, the wonders of microscope. When you look down into the microscope, what you can see there, it's amazing. Not open to the naked eye. <laughs> My favorite pathogen is? MRSA. Any reason? It's just the fact that it's one of the highest um, healthcare-acquired um, infection within the hospital. And then the, the time that it takes for the... Um, you know, for you to be able to diagnose it and things like that. So I just find it fascinating, to be honest. Okay. And and when I was in Michael also, the agar that we used to, to culture it, yeah, there's something about it. If you see it, you see what I'm talking about. The most important lesson I learned over the pandemic was? To be grateful. And the reason is the pandemic has affected a lot of us is affected lives you know and a lot of us we lost um, our loved ones and so for every waking moment i am grateful even when things are not going right you know we, we we're quick to be like oh my gosh at the end of it i am grateful and always see the positive out of every situation the time of day I'm most productive at is in the morning why just after coffee <laughs> <laughs> right yeah that fresh shot <laughs> Your brain is still working then. <laughs> the first thing I'm going to do after this podcast is... Dinner. I'm actually thinking about dinner right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Bami, for coming on today and talking to us. That's been really interesting. Yeah. So, Thank you, Bami. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Welcome to this month's Lab Life. The IBMS is passionate about supporting research in biomedical science and has been sponsoring the STEM for Britain Awards every year since 2012. In 2022, we sponsored the gold and silver medals in the biological and biomedical science category. The awards are an annual poster competition and exhibition giving early career researchers the chance to showcase their research to parliamentarians. 
Mikhail Cerner-Pasquay, a second-year PhD student from King's College London, won this year's Gold Award for his poster communicating his PhD research project, which hopes to spot diseases early just by monitoring a patient's breathing pattern using an interdisciplinary, biomedical and mathematical approach. Mikhail, welcome to Lab Life. Thanks for joining us. Uh, so well done on winning the gold award this year so your project is looking to detect diseases early by collecting data about the way a person breathes using a technique called spa so would you mind taking us through it how this works and a little bit more about the project so one of the cool things about it is that we don't need to collect the data the data is already collected routinely in hospitals so we have uh, as you were talking about the breathing patterns, but these, are, these technology can be applied to any physiological waveforms, which is any kind of wave that our body generates, which can be the electrocardiogram, for example, or uh, the blood pressure waveform, which is essentially how the blood runs, runs through our veins. So we usually, uh, with this data that, we, that is already collected, we use it in a very simple way. For example, in the cardiovascular waveform, we use it... Uh, very simple metrics of all this data, which is uh, the, the heart rate usually, and in the case of, of blood pressure, the systolic and diastolic blood pressure. So these single points are usually correlated to disease and changes in the body. What we think is that if we look at the complete shape of the waveform, there might be tiny changes in the, in the, yeah, in the way that the blood uh, goes in and then out of your heart or in the breathing pattern, the way that the, your air goes in and out of your lungs. So tiny changes in that waveform might be telling us more about changes in the body, especially in disease. So we really want to look at that data, but it's very complicated because there is a lot of it. <laughs> and usually we use simplified biomarkers because it's easier to analyze. So there is this mathematical technique that you were re- referring to before called SPAR, which is a collaboration between mathematicians and biomedical scientists, which is my, my both my supervisors, yeah. that actually uh, makes it simple to isolate and then uh, analyze the morphology, which is the shape of the waveforms. Just the morphology. It doesn't care about the amplitude of the waveforms. It doesn't care about the rate because that's already been analyzed. We are interested in the new data, which is the shape of the waveform. And we have this technique called the, the attractor which, yeah, just allows us to look at this. And we're trying to correlate it to uh, different diseases, trying, as you said, to detect them earlier. And yeah, that's more or less in a nutshell what we're doing. So what kind of diseases does this technique look at diagnosing? So the good thing is that it's very applicable to any disease that has some correlation to a physiological waveform. So it can be cardiovascular, can be respiratory. Uh, We actually are like, 10 more or less researchers in our team and every one of them is doing different things in different biomedical projects, which is really nice. Uh, myself, I'm uh, the, the project that I presented at STEM is yeah. about yeah, the respiration. So it's about COPD. And we're trying to see if by looking at the shape of these respiratory waveforms, we can detect uh, deterioration of patients at risk uh, earlier than just looking at conventional measures such as respiratory rate, which is the most commonly used in ICUs and hospitals. So if I'm looking to diagnose COPD, how would this method be utilized clinically to speed up the rate of diagnosis? Yeah, so this is our goal in our mind. Ever since I got involved in this project, this is what we see in the future happening, right? So we have uh, in the ICUs uh, where uh, doctors have to make life or death decisions all the time, you, we usually have monitors uh, telling you about the patient's breathing, 
Uh, you can see the waveforms there, but it just tells you the respiratory rate usually, and uh, not many more metrics. From there, uh, the doctor can say, oh, this patient has a higher respiratory rate than it's uh, usual, common, and there might be something wrong with them. They might be deteriorating, or if uh, it's a COPD patient, maybe that COPD patient is at risk of an exacerbation, which is an acute worsening of symptoms. So they do that with the respiratory rate, with that information. We think that if we give them more information about the changes in the body, which is the shape of the waveforms that we're looking at there, in an easy to understand way, an easy to quantify way as well, maybe they have uh, an earlier clue that something's going wrong. So for example, the respiratory rate might be the same in the first day or the day of admission of, of a COPD patient. It might be a common range of respiratory rate, like 20, 30. Mm -hmm. uh, but then perhaps the morphology of the waveform is much different in the patients who are at risk of exacerbation than the patients who are not at risk of exacerbation. So if they knew that before, they would be they would know it with a change in respiratory rate, which must be might be uh, further along the road of that patient. Maybe they can act before, and then that patient can be better treated, and that's the whole goal of our project to try mm. to improve patient uh, outcomes, basically. How far are we away then from this being used clinically, and what are the next steps in moving this towards being used? So it's essentially a matter of of people knowing about it because uh, we really believe in it, uh, that it can actually make a change. And we would love to, as I was telling you, have it on the clinic. But first we have to prove it. And this is why I, I was super happy that we got the recognition in the STEM event, because then people got interested in my university. Uh, it, as I was telling you before, people kind of were interested in it and we had some potential collaborators, but now that it had this recognition, everyone's trying to collaborate con with us and now it's pushing it forward. So that will be the first step, like proving it in as many areas as possible and confirming it. For example, my, my study, I have to recognize it was just a pilot study with uh, 12 patients. So we want to see if in a larger cohort that's uh, still the case. And if that is still the case, the goal will be to try to set up a prospective clinical trial where we will give this information to doctors and try to see if patients are actually better off uh, with the better, hopefully better decisions of the doctors thanks to this information. And then it will be proven. And then what we would try to do is try to speak with uh, the industry, the healthcare industry, trying to see if we can incorporate this new technology in already existing monitors and yeah, in the, in the health system as a whole. That will be kind of our dream. And we are just pushing towards making it a reality. I don't know how long it will be, but I can tell you that we're really working hard to make this happen because we really believe in the technology. Oh, that sounds absolutely brilliant. And wow, what an innovation if this can come in clinically and speed up these diagnoses and hopefully save lives. You mentioned there that the STEM Awards, one of the benefits is it could potentially improve the recognition for this project and speed it up, as we said. Have there been any other benefits of taking part in this event and winning the award for the project or for you personally? Yeah, so uh, basically for both, right? Uh, for me personally, because like doing a PhD for me is very complicated because you're basically on your own and you don't actually know if, if what you're doing means something or not. So I, I really believe in it, but it's very difficult when you're on your own. And having this recognition really helped me, well, personally and professionally, uh, believe in myself and, and, and truly think that what I'm doing is worth for something uh, <laughs> and that we can actually push it forward. So it's, yeah, it really helped me to 
keep on my career path and be confident that I can be successful on my career path. And then, uh, obviously, since my career path right now is this project, it's also giving us confidence uh, to the whole team that we can actually, that we are actually making something that's worth it and that we can push it forward because people are interested in it. And if we can just bring it to reality, yeah, that will be super helpful. And that's what the STEM uh, award allowed us to, to kickstart, basically. So, yeah, we're really happy. Prizes are awarded the STEM awards for being able to communicate the science to non-scientists in an easy way to understand. So what was it about your poster and the research which you think stood out? I think it's, it's the first thing that uh, actually interested me about the project is that it's so visual and so easy to, to understand. And that's one of the great things about the project that we can give this information to, to everyone and they can actually try to understand it if from patients to doctors. And it's kind of easy to understand because you're seeing the changes in the attractor. And that's what I think it, it made all the difference because it's, it's very easy to explain. It's like, yeah, we, we're getting all this data, putting it in a nice way that you can understand. And here it is, how it changes, and you can see it change on your own. And then people, it's very easy to get interested on. And it's also, it's not just visual, but it also has these uh, nice advantages in terms of, of disease detection that you can actually see. So it's, yeah, it's, it's simple in, in a good way. <laughs> so where did you see the STEM for Britain Awards and what made you apply? So I, I didn't know about it, but my supervisor knew. And uh, we thought that it was a great opportunity to basically that, showcase uh, our technology and try to, to push it forward. And uh, yeah, we applied. I, I wasn't very confident that we were going to get in because it was like a really big opportunity. But then we got in. How did you feel when you were announced as the winner? Oh my, I was like, I, unreal, unreal. Like the whole day was unreal because my MP came as well, right? And uh, we, I was chatting with him before. Uh, about the project and the poster and he was very really excited about it and it was like yeah that was super surreal so then when I got there I was like this cannot be happening it's like no way <laughs> and I was just very very happy but especially very because I've been in this project for a long time and it's basically shaped my career path until now and it's been so many years uh, working on this and thinking about how I can apply this and finally seeing that it actually got some recognition and that uh, it's it's evolving and it's maturing it just felt really good because we, as I was telling you before, we really believe in this technology and we really believe that it can help people. And if we can take it there, uh, I will be super satisfied. So yeah, it was a step on that direction and it was amazing. Brilliant. What are the plans after you graduate from the PhD? Do you have any idea of what you'll be doing next? Yeah, so I'm, I, I really want to be a, I don't know how to call myself, but a data scientist uh, in biological data because I think there's, there's so many data out there nowadays and so many ways to to take advantage of it that we're not doing and just a, a, like a big missed opportunity to help people and i think i'm good at doing this and analyzing data at programming and i think i can help there so i just want to do that i don't know in which project specifically i really as i was telling you i really believe in this project that i'm doing right now and i want to stay in here for as long as i see that i can push it forward but then i also i will also perhaps try other projects which, which have more or less the same idea, just making more use of available data to help patients. So yeah, I think I'm going to stay a while for in this project, but otherwise I'm just going to be doing similar projects if I can. Excellent. Good luck with your studies. Mikhail, thanks for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for joining us for another intriguing installment of Lab Life. If you want to find out more about Mikhail's work, 
or download a copy of his winning poster. Then you can find the links in our show notes or on our website. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. These podcasts are released monthly at the same time the magazine comes out. So whenever a new issue lands on your doormat, head back online to listen to a new episode. And don't forget that these podcasts can be used for your CPD. Take care and bye.